0: Good morning, Chapel Hill great to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Gunnar. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my joy to celebrate with you all that God has been doing this last week in VBS. It's really an incredible thing, and it's great to hear you all participating, as Pastor Julie said, and celebrating what God has been doing this last week. Do we have any kids in the room? If you're a kid, can you just raise your hand? Oh, lots of kids in the room. Okay, very cool. So I'm going to share some things from the Bible today, and these are things that we can all learn about. Whether we're about this tall or about this tall, or maybe even taller, we all can learn about God and how we are called. We're gonna learn today about how to pray how to pray together. So if you uh, got one of those pieces of paper and a crayon when you walked in, can you just wave those up in the air for me? If you're a kid and you got a piece of paper and a crayon, you, okay, cool. You're gonna use that. So you can, you can draw some pictures if you want to. You can color some things in. There's lots of colors there for you. If you didn't get one of those, Mr. Paul's gonna be walking around with those. So you just kind of wave him down and say, I need one of those, okay? And he'll help you out with that. And then also, as we walk through our message today, you're gonna see the point. So especially you older kids you can tune in, and each time we do a different point, it'll be in orange on the screen, and we're going to write it in. Sound good? Yes or no? Yes? Yes? Okay. Excellent. Awesome. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about prayer. prayer. We're going to be talking about prayer today. We've been making our way through a series in the one-anothers of the Bible, and what this has been teaching us about is how we are to live with one another in the body of Christ, how we are to live Together as Christians, and today we're going to talk about what it means to pray together. Those of you who have known me for a while, you'll know that one of my heroes is Fred Rogers. You may know him by a different name, Mr. Rogers. And uh, do you kids still watch Daniel Tiger? Is that still a thing? Yeah, a little bit. And Daniel Tiger. Okay. Those of you who still have basic cable and just watch PBS, uh, you probably watched Daniel Tiger. That was me. I was a PBS kid. Um, that's why I'm so brilliant. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, PBS, man. Um, your donations go toward that, no. Um, so we will not be asking for any PBS donations today. Uh, but Mr. Rogers, he and uh, Daniel Fry, uh, Tiger were buddies. That's where Daniel Tiger comes from. But Mr. Rogers, I, I didn't just watch his show as a kid, because uh, I was a 90s kid, but I also uh, read his biography several years ago. And I learned so much from this man, and he kind of became a hero, because I saw a male figure in my life who was compassionate and loving and cared for people, and that stuck with me. One of the stories in uh, his biography that I read was about a visit he made to a boy with cerebral palsy, and this boy, he had a really rough upbringing. He was mistreated by his caregivers growing up to the point that he started to believe that he himself was a very bad little boy because of the very bad things that had happened to him. And that damage to his self-esteem over the years eventually led him to getting into these fits of rage where he would start to hate himself and hit himself. But there was always one show that would help him calm down. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The boy then, uh, he kept kept watching the show, kept growing up, and he became a teenager. And because of a foundation designed to help kids just like him, he found out that he was going to get a chance to meet his hero in person, that Mr. Rogers was coming to his house. When the day came for this visit, Mr. Rogers sat with the boy, and he made a request that was a little different than something the boy had ever heard before, a request that would stick with him for the rest of his life. Mr. Rogers asked, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? He was stunned. He'd never been asked to pray for somebody before. Of course, many people had prayed for him and what he faced in his life, but he had never been asked to pray for somebody else. And so even though he didn't really know if he could do it or where he would find the words or what he was supposed to say, this boy gave it his best shot. He said a prayer for Mr. Rogers. Now after that moment, from that day forward, something miraculous happened. The boy stopped hating himself. The boy stopped hitting himself. And you know why? Because if Mr. Rogers is close to God, and Mr. Rogers liked him enough to ask for his prayers, then that must mean that God likes him too. It changed his whole self-concept. Sometime later, Mr. Rogers was asked how he came up with such a genius solution to help this little boy along, to boost his self-esteem by asking him to pray for him. But Mr. Rogers was surprised by the observation. He didn't see the situation in the the same way. His response was, oh, heavens no, no. I didn't ask him for his prayers to help him, I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. You see friends, prayer is powerful. Praying together is powerful. It doesn't just transform the person we're praying for, it transforms us in the process. And if we want to get in on that transformative power of prayer, we're going to have to learn how to pray, and we're going to have to learn how to pray together. And so we're going to zoom through some scriptures together and find three approaches to praying together. But before we do that, I think it's only appropriate that we pray. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we've just celebrated you. We've praised you because you're just this massively magnificent, majestic God, matchless in all of your might. And you're in control. We sing sing songs about how awesome you are, God, how you're in control of everything. And at the same time, you have our best interest at heart. You love us more than we could ever even know. We love us more than we could ever love ourselves. And so, God, we ask for your grace to be able to pray that as we see you for who you are, that we would call on your name, knowing that you're the one who can change our circumstances and the circumstances of those who we love and perhaps maybe even change us. In the process. So we ask for that grace to be able to do that. Teach us to pray. Lord, we say with your disciples, teach us to pray. Would you say that aloud with me? Teach us to pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to scan some of the New Testament together and we're going to find three ways to engage in prayer in the church. Here's the first one Pray for one another. Can we say that together? Pray for one another. We pull this from James 5.16, where it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other, and what? Pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. According to this verse, there's power in prayer, but that power is only accessed when we pray for each other. It's only when we have the compassion In order to hear the requests of others, to meet them where they are, and we have the courage to share our weaknesses with somebody else, that we then get the benefits, the breakthrough, the blessing of God in our life that prayer affords us. And so if we want that blessing, if we want to get in on what the powerful and effective products are of prayer, the only way to do that is to take that posture of compassion and courage to truly engage in the process of praying for one another. I remember a friend of ours, uh, this was several months ago, she called us up, my wife Amy and I, and she said, oh my goodness, I'm just having the worst time at work. Uh, She's a brilliant person, she's doing her PhD in immunology down in Texas, and she was having a really tough time with her mentor in her PhD program. This mentor, she treated her terribly. She would tear her down verbally, she would criticize her constantly, And she clearly wasn't invested in our friend's development. But our friend felt stuck. What more could she do? She was too far into her program, couldn't find a new school, couldn't find a new mentor. She'd done everything within the system to try to make her situation better, but nothing really quite worked. In that moment, the Lord put it on our heart to pray for her. And we prayed specifically for breakthrough in this situation, that her relationship with her mentor would have a complete change that God would pour out his blessing on our friend. A few weeks later, I think you know where this is going, our friend sent us a text, and this is what she wrote. Thank you guys for your prayers. It's a miracle. Things have been a 180 with my mentor, completely different response and attitude, and I am so thankful. There is power in prayer, amen? There is power in specific prayers, this is what Jesus taught his disciples. He said, ask, the problem is you, you, don't, you have not because you ask not. And we don't ask a lot of times because we think, well, why would God care about this? That's where we make a huge mistake. God knows that he's the one that's the only one ultimately in control, and he's the one who cares about us the most. So who else would we ask? Who else would we ask? By praying for the specific need of our friend, we got to participate in the blessing of God in her life. And that brought us so much joy. That's what Jesus also taught. He said, pray and you will receive that your joy may be made full. And so there's something joyful, blessed, uh, something with breakthrough involved when we pray for one another. To do this, friends, it's pretty simple stuff. But the simplest stuff is always the most difficult. But it really only amounts to us sharing our requests with others. Hey, could you pray for me for X, Y, Z? And then we receive the requests of others hey, how can I pray for you? And then what do we have to do? We pray. God, would you please (laughs) bless so-and-so with X, Y, Z. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do we have to make that so difficult? It's just asking God for the things that we know our friends and family, our loved ones, our acquaintances need the most. Many of you receive what we call our all-church prayer list. And this is an email that goes out throughout the week. And it's essentially people sharing their requests. They're saying, I need prayer for this. And then that email goes out to a list of folks, and we can pray for them. And I love getting those emails because when they pop up in my inbox, I can stop what I'm doing, click it open, say a prayer, Jesus' name, amen, and I can move on. And then weeks later, I get to hear about how God worked in that person's situation. It's really powerful. I think this is a wonderful resource, and I think we need to start making more use of this system. And so my practical invitation to each one of us is to submit our prayer requests to each other and receive our prayer requests from one another. This is one of the ways that we make a big church feel small. This is one of the ways that we get to know one another and the issues that are facing each other. Even if we maybe can't put a face to the name immediately, we know that we're joining them in prayer and that God acts. So if you want to sign up or uh, you want to send a prayer request, you go to chapelhillpc.org pray. You go on the website, you're able to click that you want to submit a prayer request, and you can select whether or not you want that to be a smaller group of people praying. If it's more personal and heavy, you can ask just the leaders to pray. That involves our pastors, our elders, our deacons, and a small group of prayer warriors who keep that in confidence and who pray over those needs. Or you can select, I want the whole church to get in on praying about this and seeing what the Lord does because I really need this prayer. So submit your prayer requests and then you can also sign up on that same website to receive those prayer requests. You go on, you subscribe to the All Church email or All Church prayer list. You put your information in and then you start getting emails and what do you do? You pray. You open them up and you say a prayer and you watch God act. It's so simple And yet you never know how your simple prayer can change a life. We've had three men, I think, in the last year, all healed of cancer because they prayed. Now, isn't that amazing? The Lord does what he wills. The spirit bloweth where it will. But I'll tell you right now, there's power in prayer. And why not ask? You ask not because, or you have not because you ask not. And so we might as well make use of these systems. You never know how your simple prayer may change the life of somebody in your life. And you also don't know how it may change you in the process. And that leads us to our second point. The first one was pray for one another. The second one is pray about one another. Can we say that? Pray about one another. Here's what I mean. I know this may come as a shock to you, but there are going to be people in your life who believe the same things you do about Jesus that you don't get along with. Okay? There are going to be people in your life that you go, Man, we believe in Jesus, and yet there's just something not right in this relationship, something that's just not clicking. And it's when those conflicts arise, we have a decision to make. Either we can hold a grudge, and we can gossip, or we can pray about one another. There have been many times in my 11 years of vocational ministry where I have ran into relational challenges— Okay, that also shouldn't come as much of a shock, um, because this is the nature of bringing so many different people into the same space, and then also it's the nature of my job, you know, because nobody has opinions about music. Nobody. (laughs) Or lights, or the balcony, I don't know, these sorts of things. Nobody has any opinions about worship at all. But I have ran into some fun relational challenges over the years, and honestly, one of my go-to lines working in ministry is, church is weird church is weird. I have friends who work in all sorts of industries, who are going to school, all sorts of different places, doing all sorts of different things. And the unique complaints and phone calls and criticisms and conflicts and phone calls and emails and phone calls that I get, it is just sometimes hilarious. Um, I listen, I listen, I promise. But there are times I just have to say, man, this would only happen in a church. It only happen to church, because church is weird. Church is weird. And maybe church has been weird for you too. Maybe some of the biggest challenges you've have had in your relationship, uh, relationship with others have been with fellow believers. And so I'll just admit that there have been times where I haven't been able to just laugh off a situation as easily, because the pain was too deep, because the things said about me were too awful, because the things that were done to me were too personal. And in those cases, that's when I needed to pray about those relationships the most. Friends, we're all united in Jesus, but we are different, and our differences often lead to difficulties. It's the nature of the church. And as a result, that means we're going to face fellow believers who hurt us, who speak ill of us, who maybe even mistreat us or make us out to be their enemies. And let us remind ourselves how Jesus teaches us to respond. Luke, the sixth chapter, it'll be up on the screen. Let's say it together love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Yes, there are going to be people in your life who are believers who mistreat you, but this is why we need to pray about each other. We need to bring all our fears, all our frustrations, even all our failures, our hurts, our concerns to the Lord when we face our relational conflict. Here's here's another way to put this. We need to lean on the Lord to fight our relational battles. We need to lean on the Lord to fight our relational battles. There's a place for conflict. There's a place for confrontation. There's a place for conversation. But everything must begin and continue on and end with prayer. Otherwise, we stand to make a lot of mistakes and do more damage than we would opt to do in in the first place. The question for all of us is, will we fight our own battles or will we trust God to fight them for us. Pastor and Bible teacher Charles Stanley has a great line about this. Fight your battles on your knees and you win every time. Fight your battles on your knees and you win every time. What's a relational battle that you're facing right now? How could you pray about that person? I think one of the best examples in the Bible of this is Nehemiah. How many of you know who Nehemiah is? Great rebuilder of Israel, He was called by God to restructure and lead the people of Israel in a time of repentance so that they could get back on track with being the people God had made and called them to be. Nehemiah was a leader, and like any leader, he faced problems, and often those problems were people. And he had a choice at every stage in this process. How would he deal with criticisms, plots, and schemes, lies, intimidation, discouragement, doubts, and disagreements? And by the way, that's all just from chapter 6 of his book. He dealt with a lot more than that. But again, Nehemiah did what we're all called to do when we face relational battles. He prayed about them. This is what he writes in his memoirs, Nehemiah 6. He interweaves, it's like a journal. It's like he's praying to God, and then there's an update. He says, remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. Remember, Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. And after he prays, it says, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we'd begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized that this work had been done by the help of our God. Nehemiah trusted God to fight his battles, and you know what? He won every time. So, my challenge to you and to me is to make praying about others a priority, especially when you're in a season of conflict. Think about that relationship that's just off track, and maybe you've even given up. It may be with a spouse, it may be with a sibling, it may be with a parent, it may be with a child, it may be with a friend, it may be with a work, co worker, it may be with an acquaintance, it may be with a fellow church member. What is that relationship that you said it's beyond repair? Nothing is beyond repair. Nothing is impossible with God. And nothing is impossible when we pray. Amen? Nothing. I've seen relationship after relationship healed. And you know why? Because all things are moving in the direction of reconciliation. Colossians 1, Ephesians 1. Things can't help but be reconciled in the kingdom of God. It will happen. Maybe this side of glory, maybe next. But why not ask? You have not because you ask not. Dedicate time to pray about those people in your life who you're struggling with. You never know how God may change their heart, which, by the way, he's the only one who can. If you're trying to change somebody else, it ain't going to happen. But if you are trying to seek God's face, that the situation, the hearts, the, the, the relationship would be healed, that God and God alone can do. So pray for one another. Pray about one another. And then finally, pray with one another. Let's say it together again. Pray with one another. So we're going to keep these in our mind. For, about with. We are called to be collectively a people of prayer. In our gatherings, in our small groups, in our programs and planning, we're called to pray with one another whenever we get the chance. It's striking to me how dedicated the early church was to prayer. From the very beginning. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And that's exactly what they were. In fact, when the Holy Spirit first fell on the church, where were they? Where were they? In a prayer meeting. That is when the Holy Spirit shows up in great power and falls on the church, is when they come together in prayer. And from then on, prayer is mentioned 31 times in the history account of the church, the book of Acts alone. That's a lot of prayer. Acts 2.42. This is the description of the church. Oh, that it would be a description of us and our church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We have an example of this prayer just two chapters later. This is them praying about the persecution that they're facing as they face all sorts of awful treatment. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, they pray, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is the result of their prayer meeting. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the kind of prayer we're after as a church. Foundation-shaking prayer that changes the atmosphere. So, One of my mentors used to say that. She'd say, prayer changes the atmosphere. These folks, these these early Christians, they set the tone of how we, some 2,000 years later, should also be a people of prayer. There is power in prayer, and there is great power in praying together. When two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Um, I don't think that this power of praying together was more evident to me in my life than when a group of folks got together to pray for my sister-in-law, Shannon, uh, some of you know that uh, Amy's sister, Shannon, was diagnosed back in January with acute lymphocytic leukemia. Uh, it was one of the worst pieces of news our family could ever gotten. You'll see them up on the screen. She's married with two kids, ages one and three. Uh, and it was just awful to get this news. But my wife's family, I have to say, are probably the strongest people of faith I have ever met in my life. Because every step of the way, they turned to prayer. There were times when I thought, I don't know how they're going to get through this. I don't know how Shannon's going to get through this. I don't know how many I mean, parents are going to get through this. And again and again, God showed up in prayer. In fact, almost every single day since her hospitalization, there's a website called CaringBridge that their family posted specific requests for prayer. And then a team of people all around the world would pray for her and God would answer in miraculous ways. It was awesome. It was amazing to see. But there came a time when Shannon's uh, situation got more serious, and she had to have her bone marrow transplant. It's an operation that has a 10% fatality rate and a 50% chance of serious complication. Um, And we knew that we had to do even more than we had been doing. So we got together a, a prayer group, 60 of Shannon's supporters, family and friends, online to pray for her. And I just want to report a few amazing things that illustrate the power of praying together so that we can go out and do this more. Uh, The first one is we'd originally planned on praying for her in the evening on a Tuesday night, and her operation was scheduled in the morning, but because of things going on at the hospital, it just kept getting pushed and kept getting pushed. And so it came to the point where we were praying at the exact same time she was getting the transplant done. So God orchestrated that. And it was really powerful and she was able to sign on for part of it another powerful result of the prayer meeting that i'm happy to share and maybe most happy to share is that her treatment was completely successful and to date she has had no sign of complications and uh, we just give god all the praise for that i want to thank the many of you who have been praying with us for this i know I've seen many of you on social media and other ways joining us in prayer, and your prayers worked um, and are working. So thank you for that. But the final and maybe most unexpected result of this prayer gathering that I think is most noteworthy for all of us was the response that my father-in-law and my mother-in-law had to it. Because what was most impactful to them was how people on this call, their friends and family, gave words to things that were in their hearts that they just hadn't been able to get out yet. Emotions and concerns and fears that other people were praying their heart and they finally got some relief. It was like cathartic. It was something that released in them. And I think that, I just prayed with a family who came up first service and their son is uh, getting an operation for a brain tumor and we, we prayed over them. And uh, in those moments you feel, particularly in the parents, something release. Because to to be a parent that goes through something like that, we need something supernatural. Because you can't get through that without it. But I would argue that we need that all the time. Because the life that God has called us to live as the body of Christ is a supernatural life that's beyond what we really are capable of in our flesh. And praying together activates that. In a very unique and powerful way. So find a group. We gotta pray together. Find a small group. Come early to church and pray together. Pray with a friend or a family member. When we pray with others, it's the ultimate opportunity to elevate others. We talk about that a lot at our church because it's our part of our mission: elevate others. In, clo- in closing, there is power in prayer. And yet I think if we're really honest with ourselves, this is one of the practices of the Christian uh, faith that we neglect the most. There are two kinds of sermons that always convict, me at least, prayer and evangelism. Every single time I'm convicted. And so I think we all know that the power of prayer is there, but we don't have the power to pray. We need the power to pray. And so I want to close by telling us where to find that, that power. Did you know that there's somebody who's always praying for you? Night and day, rain or shine, and it's one person. You know who that is? It's Jesus. Jesus is constantly praying for you. When I thought about that earlier this week, it really affected me to think of my Lord and Savior, what he went through. Now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, praying for me. Here's what we read, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you right now, pleading for you. He's doing what he did for Peter 2,000 years ago when he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan's demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When Satan wants to have you, Jesus prays for you. When Satan wants to sift you, Jesus prays for you. When your faith is on the edge and it's about to fail, Jesus prays for you. You woke up a Christian today because Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prays for you, and he can do that in heaven because he prayed about you on the cross. When you were an enemy of God, separated from him by your sin, Jesus offered that final prayer before he breathed his last, and it's so powerful. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know what? Jesus prayed about you. Even when you were an enemy of God, you are now part of God's family by faith. And so you, like Jesus, God's child, can pray to your Heavenly Father about anything and anyone that you're facing, even the people you struggle with the most. And finally, because Jesus prayed about you on the cross and he's always praying for you in heaven, he now can pray with you right here by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Final verse, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us, with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, Jesus, lives in you and joins you and empowers you and instructs you to pray, so that when you say, Lord, teach me to pray, he says, seek my face, And we say, oh Lord, thy face I shall seek. Each time you have an inclination to pray, it's God seeking you first. And so when you come to the prayer closet, when you get on your knees, when you come to church, you say, thank you, God. You met me here because you drew me here. The Holy Spirit empowers us to pray. And when we say, Jesus, fill me again with the Holy Spirit, he shows up and he teaches you to pray. Jesus, would you come, would you pray through me? He answers that prayer with a yes in amazing ways. Friends, we are called to pray for one another. We're called to pray about one another. And we're called to pray with one another. Why? Because there's power in prayer. How? Because Jesus prays for you. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you that you pray for us, that you've prayed about us, that you're consistently praying with us. And Jesus, we just invite you here to take residence in our hearts. And friend, if you've never prayed that before, if you say, I know I'm a sinner, would you forgive me of my sin, Jesus? I know you died for it. Would you forgive me and make me a part of your family? You can do that right now. And Jesus always says, yes, I'll save you. Yes, I'll help you. And yes, I will teach you how to pray. And Lord, those of us who do know you, we do pray that. We ask, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray for one another, to pray about one another, to pray with one another. And we know that when we do so, you answer, because you, O God, are a faithful God, even when we are falling apart. So thank you for that. And we want to just close this service of worship celebrating your faithfulness, celebrating your love, celebrating your power, celebrating that when we come to you, you hear us. And so Lord, as we sing these songs to you, may they be from grateful hearts that you, O God, are a God who hears prayer. You, O God, are the one who listens to us when we seek you, when we seek you in truth. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Would you make us a people of prayer? And would you help us, Lord, to praise your name? We pray it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Let's stand up. Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Skansie Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10:30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.